Hi, I'm Ashley Meelink, and welcome to our podcast series, Catechisms and Sacraments. Today's episode will provide some insight and thoughts on question number two. This episode will look a little different because we will be splitting it into two parts. So this week you will get part one, and next week will be part two on the same question. Today on our panel, we have Kathy Davis, Aaron Klein, and Andrew Morton. Now the second question in the New City Catechism is, what is God? And the answer is, God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. The Bible passage this question and answer is based off of is Psalm 86, 8-10 through 10, and 15, which says, There's none like you among the gods, O Lord. Nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. But you, O Lord, are a merciful God and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Panel, we'll start off light this episode. I think we've all had an experience in our lives where we've glimpsed parts of who God is. And as the answer states, he's eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. When is a time that you've glimpsed the awesomeness of who God is? You say start off light, but the the best story I have is not a light one for when I've experienced the presence of God. Um, So I have this friend that I've known for a long time. Uh, She's not a Christian, but we always had really interesting conversations about what we believed and why uh, dating back to high school. And I can remember looking at her at high school graduation and thinking, you are absolutely fearless and absolutely committed to what you believe in and what an amazing Christian you'd be. And this was completely out of nowhere. And it's, it's one of the few times that I can honestly say it's, it was totally God speaking to me and not anything else. And the voice just said, I'm not done with her yet. And fast forward a few years later to college. Um, so we had really intense phone conversations. That's just kind of the mode of our friendship. And they always found their way to religion. Um, but one of the things that she had always been resistant to was actually reading the Bible. And so It was interesting that at this point, she had finally gotten to the point where she could read a gospel. And so what happened then wasn't really a conversion experience, right? She has not um, become a Christian, but, you know, she did say she was to the point where she thought she believed that Jesus was the son of God. And that was something that I never would have expected from my experience with her in our friendship. And I, you know, it's almost 20 years on and I still can't describe what that moment felt like, except this completely unshakable conviction that God was right there with me and that he was guiding my words in a way that I haven't felt since. And I had never felt before that. I, you know, I don't remember anything I said, nothing at all. Um, But I just remember that presence and I can't even describe it in words, but it was not happy. It was not light. It was not like how great thou art. Like I see the skies. I hear the rolling thunder. No, it was way heavy, kind of terrifying. If I'm going to be honest about it. And it like, um, so this is in college and Matt was there. It was a summer research experience. And I went to go find my husband, my boyfriend at the time. And we kind of stumbled around town for a good hour. And I mean, I'm just like incoherently trying to articulate what I had experienced. 
So, you know, you said one of you experienced that awesomeness, not in the sense that we use awesome in our society with that kind of positive, like, this is really great context, but more that like, awesome, it's, it's heavy, it's something I don't understand. And you know, why do I bring it up in a kid's podcast? Because, you know, we can't always just talk about with our kids that God is this awesome, like, genie in the sky kind of thing, <laughs> that there's, there's these demands on us that come with all of those words, the eternal, the infinite, the unchangeable, the, the glory of it all that I, having experienced it that, that time, like, I, I cannot describe what that was. Yeah, the word awesome is definitely a multifaceted word. It is not simply look at how he controls the cloud formations in the sky, but it can also mean a terrifying presence. So that's a really amazing experience. And thank you for sharing that with us. Pastor Andrew? Yeah, great question, Ashley. And, and thanks for sharing that, Kathy. I, th I think that really resonates with, with a lot of people in, in terms of um, seeing evidence of, of God working in people's lives, especially as you see him moving people uh, closer to him in, in ways that, that, you know, you certainly, you can't do through mere conversation or words alone. I know I've experienced that as well. Uh, some of the experiences that come to my mind for this question have to do with that, with having conversations with people and, and hearing from them how they have encountered and, uh, and, and tasted the work of God in their lives. Sometimes, you know, in, in happy ways and good ways, the answers to prayer, sometimes through really difficult trials and, uh, and really in some ways, uh, crucible-like experiences where, where they're going through the fire and being tested and refined. And, and you see that the person coming out of that is one that has a, a, a renewed awareness of who God is and is clinging to him in a new and deeper way. Um, you know, also experiencing God, you know, some, some answers that a lot of people would give would be true for me as well, um, through, through nature, through that sense of, of wonder and the beauty and majesty of what he has made, uh, of being reminded uh, that, uh, that I am so small compared to so much else uh, that, uh, that God pays attention to, and, and that things that move me to, uh, to awe and wonder are still really small compared to who God is. And, uh, and uh, a, a final way that, that I am filled with sort of that sense of, of wonder at who God is has to do, you know, with how he is infinite and eternal. And uh, that's an aspect of him that we're not uh, always able to really appreciate or experience because, you know, we're very finite. Uh, we're limited in our ability to experience him and even in our ability of, of what we get to see over the course of our lives. It, it's no secret to many of our listeners, perhaps, that uh, I am a bit of a, a history enthusiast and I, I love learning from the past. And, and one of the ways that, uh, that I am moved to, to worship and adore the Lord is through what I am able to learn about God and how he is at work in people and in places across centuries and across generations and the way that you see dots connect 
and uh, that you see uh, lifespans of people intersect and how God can do a work here at this point in time. And it has a ripple effect uh, that influences this person or that person, and they leave a legacy in a different area. And that really fills me with wonder and gives me a, a longing, you know, if only I could see human time, human lifespans from a God's eye view vantage point. Uh, oh, what there would be to see what wonderful tapestries God is weaving through human experience and through human history. And I love being able to do a little bit of that work of trying to uncover just a, a little bit of that knowledge and experience uh, through learning about the past, through talking uh, with believers who are older than I am and who've had other life experiences and chances to see God work in ways that I haven't had the opportunity to see. And so that's really been uh, meaningful and, and powerful for, uh, for me as, as well. Um, one, one final thought of how I've been filled with that sense of his presence recently is just in the last couple of weeks, I had the privilege of, of sitting with a, a church member in the final hours of her life before God called her home. And as I was sitting by her side, reading scripture and praying with her, I just really sensed that God was present there. There was something holy in, in that room. There, there was a sense of, of his peace, of his presence as, as the spirit was with us. And there's something really beautiful in, in, in those moments where the Lord is getting ready to uh, welcome that person into his presence. And I don't get to see that moment and what it looks like upon arrival, but I know that, okay, not long after I say, you know, farewell, dear brother or dear sister with our blessing and with our love, then they get to experience that welcome and that well done, good and faithful servant. And being part of the farewell committee is, is pretty cool when you think of what that amazing heavenly welcome committee is like. You know, I'd say that there have been a few times when we've experienced the awesomeness of who God is. I think certainly when we've stood on the top of Pikes Peak and looked out over the mountains and over the plains, I mean, those would be times when we just gazed upon the awesomeness of God and all his wonder. I can think about times when we've been camping and we've just looked up at the stars that are just too numerous and too vast to count, where they just remind us of just how incredible God is. Or when we would stand at the beach in Florida and we would watch the sunset and it was almost as if the Gulf of Mexico was just swallowing up the sun. I mean, all of that just kind of pointed to the sheer awesomeness and, and really radiance of God. But I would say that we experienced it most significantly when we were planting our church in Florida. And it was like, we just saw God come through time and time again, even if we didn't think that God was paying any attention. Um, early on in our plant, I can just remember there was a time when we were looking at the budget and honestly, we weren't sure if we were going to make it. Things were getting pretty tight. And I can remember laying on our bed with Nicole and like just crying and crying out to God and asking like, God, why would you lead us here just to abandon us? And so this is on, on a Friday night. Well, on Sunday morning, I had this same routine. Our church had a post office box and I would stop by that post office box every day, every Sunday on the way to church. And uh, our church met in a school building, which is why we didn't have uh, like uh, a place to mail stuff to other than the P.O. box. And so on this particular Sunday, I swung by the, the church's P.O. box and there inside the box was this letter. And inside the letter was this check for $5,000. And it was made out to the church 
from somebody from our previous church who I had like barely known and, and had met. And immediately, like I just started crying because I knew that God had heard our prayers and that he had answered them. I, I knew that everything was going to be okay. Now, here's what really begins to blow your mind when you think about how awesome God is, is that for us to receive that check on that Sunday morning, that person had written that check and had put it in the mail a week prior. And so it was like God knew what we needed before we even asked. And God provided it for us before we even went to him in prayer. I, I, that just reminded us of how awesome our God is. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. And thank you, panel, for that input. All right. So that was kind of a warm up. I know, Kathy, you said that that wasn't light. But I think this next question um, is the opposite of whatever that was. So let's dig in. Um, the answer to this question clearly says that nothing happens except through him and by his will. So what does that mean for the bad things that happen in this world? How can they match up with a God who's a God of goodness and perfection? Kathy, let's start with you. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, to start off, let me be really, really clear. Um, that suffering and evil exists, but we have a good and perfect God. It's my biggest problem as a Christian. Um, if I'm going to be honest, it's something that God and I argue about fairly consistently. And every time we have that argument, it ends up kind of like the end of Job, where God is reaming me out. It's the sort of, you know, who do you think you are? You don't have this perspective. You don't have the brains. You don't have the strength. You don't have the will. This is something you don't understand. And, you know, sometimes God's nice about that and sometimes he isn't, but that's pretty much where we end up every time. And so, you know, as background, if I'm going to make the analogy for the problem of evil using the board game Candyland, please understand that I'm not trying to trivialize evil or suffering in any way. But, you know, if your kids are like mine, they've been pretty fortunate and they don't have a concrete grasp or even an abstract grasp of what suffering and evil mean right now. But they do get board games. And Candyland, I think, is a good one for a few reasons. Um, first, Candyland is kind of like what my husband likes to call multiplayer solitaire. You're playing against the board. You're not playing against one another. And so those cards that you draw are getting you from place to place. It's not any particular skill or ability that you have to get from one place to another. And secondly, if your house is anything like mine, Candyland isn't a particularly competitive game. We all try to get to the candy castle at the end, and we all get excited no matter how long it takes, especially when I'm playing with like my three-year-old. And so, you know, in that analogy, we're all playing Candyland, and our goal is to get to the candy castle at the end. Well, the rule of the game is that we draw cards, and we do what the cards say. And sometimes those cards are good. They let us go a few spaces forward, or if we're really lucky, we get to draw one of those locations that's way up the board close to the end. And sometimes it's not so good, right? Sometimes you get kicked all the way back to the peppermint woods, even though you were at the ice cream sea, and that's way back at the beginning. And it stinks, and it makes you mad. And it's like my kids, you think about turning over the game and upsetting the cards and going home. Um, but unfortunately, those are the rules. And part of what I have to do is teach my kids that you abide by them even when you don't like them. And so for whatever reasons that God has, and they're reasons that I really don't understand and I kind of hate, um, he's decided that evil and suffering are going to be a part of the world that we live in right now. Again, I don't like it, but God made the rules, not me. 
And so there's definitely going to be times when we get pretty major setbacks because of the rule, but it's temporary. So God wants us to be brought to the new heaven and the new earth. And so like in my house rules, right, we get to keep drawing cards and then we celebrate at the end of the candy castle. That's God's focus. He's getting us to the new heavens and the new earth. And like any good parent, he's going to celebrate with us when we move forward and he's going to encourage us when we move backward. But the real kicker, um, something I've been thinking of for years, and I think both of you might remember this from our small group when we did the Tim Keller study where he talked with non-believers. Um, and that's where th this kind of took me is that God plays by his own rules, right? That when Jesus lived on earth, he put his token on the board, he drew cards, he ended up at the ice cream sea and the candy castle and good places and bad places, right? But the point of the game wasn't where he went. It wasn't the suffering. It wasn't the death. It was redemption. And Jesus did that. And God didn't have to do it that way. He could have just made the rules and he could have watched us deal with it, but he played by them. And even though it cost him so much, and that's, that's what makes the difference to me. So when I think about my own kids, again, I don't have to like it, but it's a much longer focus that God is working with and playing with. Thank you. That's a really applicable example, I think, that we can share with our kids when we're playing board games with them or just doing life with them mm -hmm. of how we can see suffering, um, even, even under board game and how that <laughs> relates back to life. So thank you. Pastor Aaron, what are your thoughts on this question? <laughs> I gotta say that is a pretty tough question. And I think it's tough because it's one that people have been wrestling with since the beginning of time. I mean, you hear this question in all of its different iterations, like why does a good and loving God allow bad things to happen? Or, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? Now, you know, I get it. Like the neat and tidy scriptural answer is that none of us are actually good. You know, we can say things like good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people, but like the reality is we're not taking into consideration that all of us are actually bad. Like we all have the stain of sin in our lives. Like we're all bent towards rebellion against God. And the reason for this is because of that original sin of Adam and Eve and how it ushered in sin to all of creation. And so all of us feel the effects of sin as we look out at the world and as we look out like after our own lives. The, the thing that we need to remember is that God didn't create sin, but he did allow it to happen, which actually raises all kinds of questions like you know if god could stop it but then doesn't does that mean that god isn't good now, i think when i look at this catechism question it's important to understand when we say like nothing happens except through him and by his will it doesn't mean that god causes bad things to happen now, I mean, I fully admit that as a human being who isn't eternal or infinite or omniscient, I mean, I may not be able to fully ever understand God's purposes and his ways, 
But what I do know is that according to Romans 8.28, it says that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And so I have to trust that even though from my viewpoint, everything that may happen to me or around me isn't good, but I'm going to believe that in my life, God can work it for the good. And I think it, it's good to remind our children that God did indeed do something about it. Like he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live a perfect life for us that we couldn't. He gave his life as he died upon the cross to pay for our sins, which the penalty was separation from God. And he defeated death by rising again from the dead and ascending into heaven in order that we may be assured of eternal life. So I actually look at it as far from being uncaring or indifferent, God has actually done something about the sin problem in the world. And he goes to show us the extent of his love for us in the person of Jesus Christ. So I, I mean, I think that points uh, to this God who oversees everything in this world. Pastor Andrew, your turn. As we've already said, this is a really tough topic. Um, and it's hard to know even how to have this conversation with adults, let alone with, with children. Um, yeah, I think it's helpful to, uh, to just to clarify sort of what the, what the catechism answer says. You know, when it says nothing happens except through him and by his will, you know, that could mean different things. We could interpret that differently. And so uh, allowing scripture and a lot of a lot of how the Christian church has interpreted this in the past isn't to say that, you know, that God wants all of these bad things to happen, but it's to affirm that uh, God is powerful and everything that happens in human experience is something that he has power over. And some of the things that happen are things that he makes to happen. Uh, and other things are things that he allows to happen. And, and so while he may not be the one who causes that suffering or that sorrow or that sin to happen uh it, he does have the power to prevent it and, and doesn't always do that now we'll never know how much stuff he does prevent from happening and how much he does restrain um but uh, that that messes with us a little bit the fact that there's someone who is holy and good and loving and there are things that he could stop from happening but he's chosen not to um and uh and i think I think when I try to talk to that with my kids, you know, I, I would maybe start by trying to draw a connection to things that they do uh, that aren't good things that I would have the power to prevent from happening and, and don't. So again, this isn't to trivialize suffering, just as you said, Kathy, but it's to make it relatable to my kids and to their world. So, you know, living in a house with three young boys, um, there is all sorts of stuff that, that happens that can illustrate uh, brokenness uh, and chaos and things that could be preventable. You know, we have our share of messes. We have our share of poor choices that get made by various members of our household. 
you know, the, the kids might make the decision to dump their snack on the floor of their playroom, and then they have to put up with stepping on cracker crumbs that annoy them every time they go back and forth to get to their Legos. And maybe they leave a favorite toy sitting out where something can happen to it uh, that they'll end up regretting later in the day. Maybe they'll jump off of a chair or a couch and, and they'll, they'll bonk their knee or elbow on the coffee table. Sometimes they do things like this when my wife and I are there next to them. And yes, we could prevent that bad choice from being made. And sometimes we do, but sometimes we don't. Um, you know, we, we could take away the crackers before they get spilled on the floor. We could see that stray toy in an at-risk location and put it safely out of reach. We could physically restrain our children from jumping off the couch when we know they're probably not going to land the way that they think that they are. Uh, but to a certain extent, we, we do allow them to have the freedom to make those decisions, even poor ones, and to experience the consequences of that. You know, sometimes... We allow one brother to make a decision that negatively affects other brothers. And, and again, we allow them within certain boundaries to learn from those mistakes. If, if we were to remove all temptation and all decision-making opportunities from them, if we were to force them to make the wise and the best choice every single time, then they would never learn. And so as parents, we tend to shepherd our kids in a way that allows them to make choices, to learn, and to grow, even in ways that can be hard and messy and broken and involve fists flying and tears and, and all of the stuff that really in some ways creates a lot more work for us as parents, but we recognize that they have to learn these things for themselves. And, and so uh, we do put boundaries in place where they're to limit and mitigate the effects of some of those poor decisions. Um, we help clean up the mess. Uh, we comfort them when they're experiencing those consequences. We only let them get so far before we step in. And then we, we enter into that brokenness and that mess to teach them and to shepherd them and lead them out of it. And I think in a lot of ways, that's kind of what God does with us as, as well, uh, that he allows those things to happen. But he's with us. He's shepherding us. He's, he's parenting us in the midst of that brokenness and, and that sin. Uh, but now just to make a couple points, moving beyond maybe how I would talk about this with my kids and speaking with uh, older listeners in mind, uh, there are a couple points that I think are important. And, and Kathy, you kind of touched on these as well. That, that sometimes as Christians, I think we, we feel like we have to kind of apologize for God or, or rationalize why a twisted, broken state of affairs exists in this present world, uh, that we have to say, okay, suffering and tragedy, well, I guess God doesn't have that much of a problem with it, or he lets it happen, or, you know, it feels like we kind of have to compromise on who God is when we have to rationalize it in that kind of way. And I think to that point, Scripture really makes it clear that the way things are right now is not what God wants, uh, that, that this isn't the world as he made it. He made a perfect world. We broke it. Sin, suffering, brokenness, and death, that's not God's idea. And I don't think that we need to feel like we have to prove that it's not God's idea because scripture tells us this is actually the result of our idea, our really bad idea of trying to be God in our own lives. And so God tolerates the way things are right now. And I don't understand why he does, but it might have something to do with the fact that he has a lot more love and patience than I do. Uh, and so instead of 
seeing God as the villain in this or railing against God for not preventing or stopping my mess, it's helpful for me to be willing to instead confront myself um, for being the one who's contributing to that mess. Um, and then secondly, sometimes I, I think we can feel like we have to rationalize or come to terms with the existence of evil as a way of conceding like, oh, well, this is just the way things are. We may as well accept it and uh, lower our expectations, come to terms with it. But as you, as you indicated, Kathy, that's not God's response to the problem of evil. God's response to evil, suffering, and brokenness is to send his son to enter into that suffering, to bear the full brunt of that suffering. I love the way you describe that he plays by the rules. He has to go back and, uh, and get stuck in the uh, uh, gumdrop swamp or whatever it is. Uh, sorry, Candyland lovers out there for, for getting that wrong. Uh, but but he, he subjects himself to the full extent of the tragedy and the brokenness of, of this world. So Jesus' answer to the problem of evil is to come and die on the cross uh, so that, to borrow a phrase from C.S. Lewis, death itself will begin to work backwards. And even though we haven't seen this resolved yet, he promises that day a perfect resolution when, when everything that's broken is going to be made whole again. Um, and, and so... I, I can't resist throwing in a, a Star Wars reference to talk about this. Um, and I, again, I don't want to trivialize this, but this, to really allow ourselves to give in to despair over the current existence of sin and suffering would be kind of like watching the original Star Wars trilogy and you get to the end of The Empire Strikes Back. And if you've seen the original trilogy, that's that's the low point. There's a lot that has gone wrong. The good guys have lost their secret base. Han Solo is frozen in carbonite. Luke's hand has, has been severed in a, a duel with Darth Vader that didn't at all go the way that Luke thought it would go, that the team is divided up. Evil has nearly won. They're just escaping by the skin of their teeth. And when I get to that low point in the story, I, I could get to the end of that second film and I could throw up my hands in despair. I could rail against George Lucas for creating such a horrible story. I could refuse uh, to move on from that point or I could keep watching and I could see how that's not the end of the story, how George Lucas brings it all together, how redemption does enter into that story and Return of the Jedi resolves so much of what appears to be broken and lost at the end of The Empire Strikes Back. And so in our own lives, as we feel like we're at the low point of the story, and this is not at all to, uh, to just gloss over the full tragedy and brokenness of life in a fallen world, it truly does feel like we're in a low point, especially in the world we live in now, where we have uh, so much uh, pain and suffering, and we've got the effects of the pandemic and social upheaval, so many things that we rightly lament, lament over and mourn, we really need to be reminded that there's more to the story, that this is not how it ends, that God has a very different ending in mind. That wraps up our conversation for this week. Panel, thank you so much for your time. And as always, if you have questions or comments, please feel free to email me at ashley at warsawpresby.org or drop a comment below. Thanks so much for listening in.